in. Um, but when I was younger, one of the things that I loved to do was to play with toys. I loved toys. I don't know if you all things. I love WWE. And I remember uh, <laughs> I, I just had like my own little world of toys, and that was my happy place. And I remember uh, when Christmas came, I would wake up super early, and I would overlook the steps into the uh, downstairs living room, and you would just see all of these beautifully individually wrapped toys. It was kind of like my happy place. And I would wake up at probably 5 a.m., and I'm like watching the clock, and I'm pacing my room, and I'm, it feels like 10 hours have passed. It's only been 10 minutes because I'm waiting for my dad. I'm like, I just want to open my toys. And so when my dad would finally wake up, I'd grab my brother, and we'd all run downstairs. And as I opened every individual box of uh, action figure, or whatever it was, it, 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 it was nostalgic. And uh, I think my dad must have invested a lot of money into uh, my toy collection because I had a lot. And my favorite toys were my WWE action figures. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a wrestler. I loved WWE until I found out it wasn't real. Uh, but it, it, was, it was phenomenal. I, I had everything. And my dad got me, I had like a couple of rings. I had this cage so, you know, we could have like special tournaments. I had little toy uh, tables and chairs that you, like props that you could, you know, destroy you know, so-and-so with, I guess. Uh, I had everything. And um, it, was, it was just a phenomenal time being a child in the Parker household. Um, but <laughs> it, wasn't always, it wasn't always fun because I had a brother. And uh, my brother and me would get into fights. So, you know, although I would like to say every day I just came home and played with toys until I went to bed, sometimes, you know, we would go at it. And I was never afraid of my brother because he's not that much bigger than me. He's older than me, but I was never afraid of him. I, was, I thought I was a, a tough kid, probably stronger than I actually was. And uh, so me and my brother would get in these arguments, and we'd get all heated. And he, like, I wasn't afraid that he was going like, to break my neck or something. But the one way he knew how to get to me was through my toys. And I remember one day, uh, me and him got into a real bad argument over probably something silly. And he's like so frustrated where he's just looking around to see what's the closest thing of Jordan's I can break. And he picks up one of my like favorite toys that I just gotten probably a couple months ago. And he like looks me right in my eyes and he throws it to the ground as hard as he can. Of course, the whole thing shatters. And I remember a piece of my heart died that day. Um, it was pretty terrible. And uh, my dad comes running down the stairs, and he's like yelling at both of us. He splits us up. And uh, before I even get a chance to retaliate, my dad sends us both to our rooms, and that was kind of the end of that story. Um, but it's interesting that me and so many other kids get so attached to toys, right? Maybe now it's video games. I don't know if Girls still play with Barbies, but we, we kids get so attached to toys. They get so attached to all of this stuff, all of these different things. And, and I was thinking, like, why is that? Like, why as a kid was I so attached to my WWE action figures? How, why could I be in this world for hours on end just, like, having the greatest time of my life? And I, I, I realized, like, toys represent what a child can control. Like, if you think about it, I couldn't actually have been a WWE wrestler. I couldn't be Spider-Man. I couldn't be a guy that just, like, scales walls and shoots, you know, lasers out of my eyes. But I could create a little world in which I could. You know, it was like my little fantasy world. It was my little escape. And I think that's true for kids, you know, when I was a kid. And I think it's true for kids now. Like, we're always looking for, they're always looking for little worlds in which they can kind of control and master. And uh, if I would have guessed, 
I would assume that most of you don't play with toys anymore. I could be wrong, but I, I'm assuming, you know, most of you don't play with Barbies or, or uh, action figures or, or WWE wrestlers and all of those things. There's no judgment if you do, by the way, um, but I'm assuming most of you don't. But I think the same is true for adults in the sense of we're always looking for a world in which we can control things. You may not want to admit it, but we all like to control things. We may not label ourselves like a control freak, but we always want things to go our way. We always want things to to be, uh, this is, I just want it to fit into this box. And let me just give you a few examples. All right, maybe maybe you may resonate with this. Uh, Most people, they have a hard time uh, when people disagree with them right? Most people don't like people to disagree with them. Most people, if you disagree with me, uh, maybe, you know, you're someone who desires to know where your child is at every single moment of the day. That's cool, but even when they're grown and they leave the house, like, you just feel like you need to know every single moment, like, where your child or where your grandchild is at this moment. Uh, maybe you're the default decision maker, like, in your marriage or in your home, in your family. Every time a decision comes, you're like, I got it. This is what we're going to do. And, uh, no one's going to argue with me on it. Right? You're just like the default decision maker because you feel like that's your control. Or maybe you're just like, it's easy. you like to criticize <laughs> others that do things differently than you. Right? Like if someone wears something different or thinks something different, you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I would never do that. Because we like to control. We like a world in which it makes sense to us, in which no one kind of argues and that everyone kind of just plays along. And we're not the only one that tell, tell ourselves this. Like from the beginning of Scripture, men have, have told themselves that we want to create a world in which we can control. And we see it leads to chaos and sin and destruction. And uh, so often people believe this lie that they can create a world better than what God could. That, that if, they, if they are at the center of the world, if they're at the center of the universe, if they're at the center of it all, everything will go peachy, perfect, and smooth, and no one else can tell us different. Like, come on, we all believe this even if you don't want to admit it. But the gospel says there's this God that's establishing a new kingdom, a God establishing a new order, a new rule, a new reign, and it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, right? The king has arrived, and Jesus invites us to lay down our control, to lay down our our toy action figures, to lay down our system of of, uh, right and wrong, and he invites us to a kingdom that's bigger and better and more sufficient than anything we could imagine. And and how does Jesus describe this kingdom? Well, this is going to be our text today, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It should be on the screen. Uh, You could also uh, grab a Bible that should be in the seat uh, in front of you. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And this is Jesus describing what the kingdom of God is like. So let's read it, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we get to come and we get to gather and we get to hear about you and we get to learn about your kingdom words. I pray that these next uh, few moments wouldn't just be something that everyone's waiting to get through or that we'd be thinking about lunch or family or whatever else we're doing after this uh, meeting. Lord, I, but I pray that you would just kind of freeze time for a moment. God, help us to, to actually reflect and think about 
uh, what it means to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us hearts to receive. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, Lord. It's, it's not about me and, and my charisma or personality. Or, Lord, it's about your word. And I pray, Lord, that it would just fall on good soil today. Lord, we love you and we need you. And we're expecting today, we're expecting you to speak to us. We're expecting you to show up in a way maybe where you haven't before in, in some of our lives. So Jesus, we just wait for you. We love you. And we say, God, have your way. Open our hearts, Lord. Unclog our ears to all that you have for us today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if I were to ask you to summarize in one sentence, what do you think is the essence of what Jesus taught? What do you think you would say or most people would say? It can be rhetorical. Don't actually <laughs> yell out. Uh, I w- you know, I was thinking about this. I think most people would say, love your enemies, forgive those who hurt you, uh, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, people would probably say, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and listen, all of those things are definitely true. All those things are definitely found in Jesus' life and in his teaching. But it's not the central thing. It's not the core belief. You see, the essence from which Jesus uh, are taught the essence of which everything else kind of flows from is this idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They're, they're the same thing. Uh, listen, three out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one of the first recorded statements coming out of Jesus' mouth is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew alone, Jesus mentions the word kingdom over 50 times. I mean, it's clear that the kingdom of God is central to his ministry, but if it's so central to Jesus' ministry, what is it? Because if we're honest, most of us don't think about kings and kingdoms on a normal day basis because it's not necessarily in our society. So what, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, to put simply, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. I'm going to say it again. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. And uh, it's easy a lot of times to think of like the kingdom of some place far out there in the sky where like God is ruling. But don't think of a place. Think of a ruling. Think of a reigning. Thinking, think of a, a dominion. Think of God's power being manifested as, as God has uh, uh, started to usher in this kingdom through Christ. Like God's kingdom is, is right now. It's, it's starting to manifest this world through the person of, of Jesus Christ. And it's weird because we're like in this middle part of now but not yet. So don't think, oh, God's kingdom is somewhere out there. Like Jesus came and he ushered in the kingdom. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is near. So it's something that has started to penetrate this earth here today. And uh, one day when Christ returns, he's going to usher in that kingdom fully. One day he's going to totally and completely restore this world that has been corrupted by sin. And he's going to establish his kingdom fully. There will be no more earthly kingdom. It will just be all Christ, all his kingdom. But he started that work today. One scholar explained the kingdom of God like this. Uh, There's a reality in which God reigns and where everything that is done is God's will. In the story of the Bible, as it goes on, uh, the earth has become a place where God's will is not done because we assert our will over it. And God's allowed us to do that. He, he's given us free will to do that. And so Jesus here is announcing the arrival of God's reign to take back his world from us. That's good news. 
that God is going to take back his reign and he's going to take back control because we have, we've messed it up. So I don't, I don't know about you, but when I think about kingdom, I usually think of like a medieval times movie or something. And I think about a king and servants and royalty and maybe beheadings for people who kind of stepped out of line. Honestly, I'm thankful that it doesn't fit into uh, the picture that I imagine. Like, like my, my view of kingdom is so minuscule and so small, but Jesus explains it to be something so much bigger, so much better. It, it far exceeds it. And here, Jesus explains the kingdom of God, and he compares it to two things. First, he compares it to a treasure hidden in a field, and then he compares it to a fine pearl. So, so let's break this down. First, Jesus says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. So I know it's easy to think, like, what is happening? Why would someone bury a treasure in a field? Uh, well, in this time period, they didn't have uh, safety deposit boxes. They didn't have well-secured banks. So quite literally, people would bury their treasure in a field. And for whatever reason, uh, this, this owner must have forgotten about this treasure because when some man goes up to him and he's like, I want to buy your field, the owner's like, okay, well, <laughs> here you go. And as I was reading this, it just made me think, like, so isn't that the story of so many people? where it's like you go to church, you, you know all of this stuff, like you have this treasure, but it's like we just give it up for something more convenient, for something more beautiful, for something more uh, uh, valuable. Like we have God's written word to us. We get to come and we get to sing. We get to commune with this God of the universe. There are people that are begging to just have one page of this, of this Bible, and it's like we just give it up. Well, like, I don't really feel like it. Right? And, and leaders and pastors are like, don't just see what you have. You have the opportunity to commune with this living God. That is grace. But so often we're like, eh, I got, I got so many other things to do. And I've been there. And so this man, he sells everything he has to buy this field because of this treasure. He says, man, that thing is so valuable. That thing is so worth it. I will empty out every account. I'll give you the clothes off of my back. But will you sell me this field? And the owner says, yes. Then in verse 45, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So similar to before, a man finds a pearl, one that exceeds his expectation. He sells everything to buy it. What's the point? I think the point is that the kingdom of God clearly is worth selling everything we have for it. The kingdom of God is worth giving everything we have for. It's, it's worth our, our time. It's worth our possessions. It's worth our resources. It's worth our energy. It's worth our time, our treasure, our, our ta- whatever we have. The kingdom of God is greater and more valuable. So I know many of us in here are bargain shoppers, right? We want the best deal. <laughs> a lot of times uh, we don't buy a car and it's listed for $10,000. We're like, I'll give you twenty. dollars No, right? Uh, we, we want to find the best deal in life. And uh, my wife... She likes to sell things on this app called Let Go. And a couple of weeks ago, we sold some cologne uh, that we w- I wasn't using. I used it like for a week, and it just wasn't working for me. So we sold it. We posted it for 40 And let me tell you, especially here in New York, no one messaged us and was like, hey, I'll give you 200 plus a deed to my house. That's some real good cologne. Right? No one's like, come on, I'll I, I, I empty out my bank account. Like that, that cologne is worth, shh, come on, it's worth it. No, people are like, I'll give you 20. Actually, I'd do 15 because it's open, right? People are always looking for the best deal. We're always looking for the best deal. But guys, in the story, these two men, isn't it interesting that their response to this treasure wasn't to bargain? 
It wasn't to look for the best deal. It wasn't to say, hey, man, uh, that's a pretty cool pearl. I'll give, you, I'll give you two of my goats. No, it says that they gave up everything they had to possess this treasure. So the question for us today is how are we meant to respond to the kingdom of God? If Jesus says it's like the finest pearl, if he says it's like this treasure hidden in a field that's worth giving up everything for, what does that mean for us? So I think there's three ways that we're meant to respond to the kingdom of God. Number one is to discover it. Number two is to treasure it. And then number three is to receive it. So the first is to discover it. So discover, to discover something, obviously, is to find it, and to find it assumes that you don't currently have it. Uh, and in this parable, one guy, he seems to kind of just stumble upon the treasure, but the other guy is actively looking out for this fine pearl. He, he's looking for it, but both men come to a point of discovery. And, and I think this is so important because it's easy to be uh, in a church. It's easy to, to be around all of these things, but still so far from God because the owner owned the field, but he was so, he didn't, I guess, understand the treasure he had, which is why he was just willing to give it up. And again, the guy who had the fine pearl, if they truly discovered what they had, they wouldn't be so quick to just sell it. So it's, it's easy to go through all the motions. It's easy to be around Christians, to talk the talk, to, to do all the right things, but have your heart so far from actually discovering the value of the kingdom right? It's, it's easy to have your heart truly be far from God's goodness, to not know God's love, to not know God's power and ultimate authority. I mean, it's clear that these men discovered a treasure because there's this joy. There's this sense in which nothing else matters. There's this, uh, this idea where their resources don't matter, not their things. Nothing stands in comparison from them obtaining this beautiful treasure, and I think if there's anyone in Scripture that understood this point, it was the Apostle Paul, because in Philippians ver- uh, chapter 3, verse 8, Paul writes, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. You see, I believe you know you discovered the kingdom when everything else can kind of be considered garbage. You say, man, I have a lot of good things in my life, but when I compare it to Christ alone, it doesn't pale in comparison. I would give it all up in a day just to, to know him. If anything is standing in my way, man, it's gone. It's garbage. And I think that mentally, it's, it's easy to believe that the kingdom of heaven is valuable. Mentally, it's easy to know Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Mentally, it's easy to, to say all these things. It's, it's easy to believe all of these things. But functionally, a lot of times our lives kind of tell a different story. Like, like mentally, I may say Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of heaven is my true treasure. Those things have the ultimate value in my lives. But functionally, I spend my entire life building uh, my kingdom around myself. I decide how I'm going to spend my money. I decide what I'm going to do with my time. I decide who gets my attention. I decide my five-year plan, 10-year plan. I decide, I decide, I decide. So it's like mentally I say Christ and his kingdom are supreme, but functionally I've determined the course of my life. And then I say, God, can you get behind this? 
Can you get behind where I'm going to go to school? Can you get behind who I'm going to get married? Can you get behind all of these different things? Like mentally, it's easier for me to desire heaven, but functionally, maybe uh, some of us haven't forgiven people that have hurt us over the past couple of years or, or even now. Mentally, I can desire heaven, but functionally, maybe I can't be around people who don't think the same as me, whether socially, racially, politically. Mentally, maybe I, have, I desire heaven, but functionally, nothing has changed about my life compared to when I Uh, before I was saved. And so we say we want heaven all the time. We sing about it. We can come and and we can worship. But I think it's really easy to desire uh, a heaven that's kind of created in our own image. Like we want a heaven, but one that's convenient to us, one that doesn't require change from us, one that aligns with our priorities and our values and and our goals. It's it's easy to kind of create the heaven that we want for ourselves and say, that's what I want. And I say that because I think we have to just be careful because if all we do is live for ourselves and, and for our kingdom now, we're not just going to one day wake up and say, I'm going to live for God in eternity, right? Because the kingdom is now. It's at hand. And Jesus says, you get to be a part of this now. It doesn't start, you know, at when, whenever you, you pass from this earth, it starts now. And if all we do is say, my life is about me, then that's not just going to magically encourage you because this, this has really challenged me over this past week. You see, we haven't truly discovered the kingdom if there isn't some sort of response in our lives, a shifting of priorities, a change of focus, a change of of what we love and what we desire, a a certain level of self-denial, a meekness, a willingness not to assert power and control over others. And listen, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But I am saying that you come to realize that there's a true king and we're not him. And that there's a kingdom, and it's not the way we, we define kingdom. There's a kingdom that far outweighs and far outlasts anything that we could build with our own hands. And that's what I want to be a part of. Listen, the all-wise, all-powerful, infinite God is ruling over all things for our joy and his glory. And he invites us to take our eyes off of everything we hold so tightly to and to fix our eyes on him. So the first response to the kingdom is to discover it, but the second response is to treasure it. So to treasure something is to set your heart on it. And in this case, it means that we're setting our heart on the value of the kingdom. Like we know these two men treasured this item, the the treasure in the field, and they treasured that fine pearl because they were willing to give up everything they had to buy it. But to treasure something is to really consider its worth. So to treasure the kingdom of God is to really consider like, man, is it the grace of God leading you to share the gospel and make a, a difference in the lives of other people? To think about the peace of God that can, man, protect your mind, your thoughts, your spirit. To think about the grace of God that pulls you in to be a citizen of heaven. To think about the amazing kindness of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. To treasure God is to treasure who Jesus is. To treasure what he accomplished. To just like really just think about that until your heart gets kind of excited for it and and the warm and fuzzies where you're like, this is phenomenal. Why would I want anything else? And, And listen, we treasure things all the time. Okay, we don't have a hard time treasuring things. We treasure families, careers, education, health, material things, success. uh, success. We treasure both good and bad, but we're always looking for something to to be valuable. I don't know how many people remember the story of Achan in the Old Testament, 
But Achan, uh, he's found in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 7. And Joshua, as they're going, him and his people are going to take over the city of Jericho, Joshua tells the Israelites, don't take any of the precious things for yourself. Don't take the gold, the silver, the bronze, nothing. Just, just leave it, unless you're going to take it and put it in uh, the Lord's treasury. Don't take anything for yourself. What does Achan do? He takes some stuff for himself. So Joshua 7.21, uh, this is Achan kind of confessing what he did. And he says, when I saw in the place plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing, and I took them. So Achan, he looked, he coveted, and then he took. So he sat there long enough to think about what was in front of him, and he sat there long enough to start to want to desire it, where, where he started to covet it, where he started to lust after it. And then he doesn't stop there. He moves to take it, possess it. And he wants this thing so bad where he's literally willing to risk his life overtaking it. Now, in this case, this is a, a, a negative example, but this is what it means to treasure the kingdom of God. And can I just ask you, like, what have you been treasuring in your life lately? Like what gets your heart excited? What do you think about? What do you talk about in most of your conversations? Is it sports? Is it money? Is it business? Is it finance? Is it family? Is it politics? Is it, is it, is it uh, uh, something sexual? What, what, what is it that you treasure the most? What kind of just comes off of the tongue easily? What gets your heart excited and gets your heart going? You see, I said it before, but I don't think we have a hard time treasuring things. I think we have a hard time treasuring the right things. Like no one is just, unless you're, you know, awesome, no one's just born with the supernatural desire to treasure God. Like no one comes out the womb and is just like singing praises and they're like, God is my number one. No, this has to be like exercised and developed because there's so many things that are offering this false beauty and says, oh, I'm more beautiful than God. What you really need is me. What you really need is me. So this has to be exercised and it has to be developed. So uh, to practice kind of treasuring God and his kingdom, we have to slow down in times like these, but also in times when you're at your house alone and just look at Jesus. Think about what he did. Like, just don't rush through your morning uh, devotions in five minutes. Like, just think and just slow down. We're busy people, especially in New York. But slow down long enough to think about, what did Jesus do for me? How does he bring me freedom? What, what can Jesus give me that nothing else can? Not my family, not my work, not a negative habit, not, not a good habit. But what can Jesus give me that nothing else can give? And, and just think about him. Think about his kindness. Think about the cross. Think about his consistency. Think about his character. Think about his love. Think about all that he has and, and get to the point, just like Achan, where your heart just starts to covet that, where you want Jesus and you want him so much where you say, nothing is more beautiful than this. And I think that's a daily practice, but that's what it means to treasure the kingdom. And again, it takes time because there are so many things that, that say, uh, I offer more beauty than Jesus. What you really need is this. What you really need is that. What you really need is all of these different things to make your joy complete, to bring you fulfillment, to bring you peace, to bring you happiness. But until our hearts are ravished by God, they will be seduced by so many other things and they will never be at peace. There was a church father, his name was uh, Augustine, and I love this quote because he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. 
So the first response to the kingdom is to discover it. The second response is to treasure it. And then the the third and final response is to receive it. And I just want to invite the worship team back up, but to receive the kingdom. I love this parable because these two men are clearly willing to sell everything they have to obtain the treasure. And I don't want us to think here that, oh, is Jordan saying you have to earn your salvation or you have to literally sell your house before Jesus loves you? That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, we don't earn our salvation because it's a free gift. But th- there's this kind of interesting uh, uh, paradox because although the, the kingdom of God cost us nothing, it demands everything. It demands everything. And so how are we meant to receive the kingdom of God? We receive it by repentance, right? We, we come to this moment where we stop everything we're doing. We say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you now. Because if we don't listen to his words, if we don't trust who he is, we're building our lives on sand. But to live under God's rule, to live under his reign, to repent from building your own kingdom is like the wise person who builds the house on the rock. And so the point of this parable is not saying you earn your salvation, but the point of this parable is saying nothing in life is more important to me than Jesus. Not my earthly sandcastle kingdom, not my pride, not my action figures, not my possessions, not my own way of doing life, not my dreams, not my retirement, not my 401k, not my family. Literally, this parable was saying nothing is more valuable to me than Jesus. And so, Lord, I freely give it to you. And I'm not saying go home, uh, uh, get all your stuff and sell it on eBay and move to an island, become a monk. I mean, maybe that's what God has for you. But I think, honestly, for most of us, it just takes a, a moment to slow down, take an honest inventory of your life and say, man, what have I treasured more than Christ? What, what, where have my priorities kind of gotten out of line? Where am I spending the most amount of time? Where am I spending the most amount of my resources? Like, what what consumes me? And just being honest with yourself with that. You know, Jesus says some some harsh words in John 12, uh, verse 23 through 26. And he's talking about what it means to be a follower, a real follower. And this is what he says. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus here, he's saying, in order to receive the kingdom, there can't be any conditions to our obedience. We have to be willing to die to ourselves. If, if you ever find yourself saying, I will obey God if, that's a very dangerous position to be in. Because that's, that's us trying to define the rules. That's us trying to say, God, these are my terms. And if you don't meet them, sorry. That's, that's a dangerous position to be in. Because Jesus says, unless that kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will never bear fruit. You never see any life change. You never see any fruit. You never see any impact of your life. Like we can't live for our kingdom and God's kingdom at the same time. The whole story of the Bible is a story of a clash of kingdoms, of man saying, this is my kingdom, and Jesus saying, this is my kingdom. And at one point, you're going to have to make a decision and decide what kingdom you want to be a part of. His kingdom is coming, and it's going to consume, and it's going to take over. That's inevitable. But our decision is to say, what kingdom do we want to be living for? Are we going to be devoted to our kingdom 
Are we going to be devoted to his? Think about the rich young ruler. He walked away sad because he wasn't willing to give up the one thing his heart treasured the most, which was his wealth. That was his obstacle, and that's the one thing that stopped him from getting into the kingdom. So when Jesus also says anyone who loves their life will lose it, that's a guarantee. Like anyone who is so consumed with their life, they will ultimately lose it. And, and what he means by this is that when there's such a focus on yourself, when there's such a focus on our kingdom, when there's such a focus uh, on, on our desire, our will, our plan, you start to lose more and more of what God created you to be. You hear that? Because in essence, you're actually becoming less human because we were never created to just live for ourselves. So you, you, you become so, so like you, you become less than what God created you to be because this focus on self. And that's not what a true human was, was meant to, to be as. So the kingdom costs nothing, but it demands everything. And, and here's the thing. God asks us, he calls us, he demands us to give up things that we were never meant to carry. Like, we were never meant to carry selfishness. We were never meant to carry pride. We were never meant to carry anger or bitterness or, or idol worship. We were never meant to trust in our own kingdoms and in our own abilities or, or in everything else. We were never meant to be at the center of our own universe. Notice that both of these men in the parable, they sold all their, all their possessions and they gave it up with joy because they knew what they were gaining far outweighed what they were giving up. I was reading a devotional yesterday, and this author spoke exactly to uh, what I'm sharing now, and I just want to share uh, part of it with you. Uh, he says this, here's what you need to understand. In asking you to die, Jesus has given you eternal life the only way it can be given. He has to call you to die because you are in the way of having life. It is our pride, our rebellion, our independence, our foolishness, a denial that stands in the way of his offer of life. We tell ourselves that we are okay. We act as if we're smarter than God. We like our little kingdoms more than we love his. We think our rules are better than his. We tell ourselves that present pleasure is better than eternal gain. If someone doesn't rescue us from our delusion about our lives, we will lose our lives. Yes, we must die if we are ever going to live. So grace is out to kill us. But in presiding over our deaths, grace gives us life, real, abundant, and eternal life. Don't fight the death of your old life. Instead, celebrate the new life that is yours by grace and grace alone. And remember, your Savior will continue to call you to die because it is the way of life. You know, I've really been spending a lot of time this week and over the past few weeks just thinking about what the kingdom of God means. And I think about Obviously, we live in America, and I think about America, and I think about our government, and I think about, you know, when one becomes president, it's, it's a lot of work. There's campaigning, there's fundraising, there's a ton of money that goes into it, and then whoever, you know, ends up on top is kind of this example to the entire world of a powerful, authoritative leader. And then I thought about what the kingdom of God is like. And, and I think about Jesus coming into this world, and I think about he established his kingdom in such a different way. He came into the world as a baby. He was born into poverty. He spent 30 years outside of the public scene. No one knew, other than his immediate friends and family, no one knew who he was. 
And then at age 30, when Jesus uh, begins his public ministry, everyone's expecting him to do it with the militia. Everyone's expecting him to do it with money and with uh, fame and with just a strong arm to prove the, the Romans who the, the true king is. But Jesus comes in and he introduces his kingdom by forgiving sins. He introduces his kingdom by forgiving his enemies. He introduces his kingdom by healing brokenness. He introduces his kingdom by, by loving the most distraught and hurting of our society. His kingdom is so different than what the people are expecting. You know, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he teaches what it means to live under his kingdom, what it means to live under his rule and reign, and he announces what this kingdom is all about, and then he goes out and he lives it perfectly. And he's saying, this is how you were created to live. Let me, let me show you the way. And this man who loved people went around healing brokenness, went around caring for the least of these, was treated as the worst of criminals. And our king, on his inauguration day, he was given a robe. He was given a crown, but it wasn't a crown full of jewels and expensive things. He was given a crown of thorns. And on his inauguration day, they lifted him up. They lifted him up, and they said, this is your king, king of the Jews. He was broken. He was beaten. He was bruised. And he was crushed. They said, this is your king, not a king that seemed strong at the time, that ran a a crazy strong political campaign. He's a king that's so much greater than what we know. And through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he started the process to usher in his kingdom here today, and he says, you can be part of it. You can be part of such a better kingdom than what you know. And he made it possible along. You know, as a kid, I loved playing with toys because that's what I could control. And even now, I love to be able to control things. And Jesus says, you have no idea. You can give it all up and you can be a part of something where you don't have to control, where you don't have to know how it's all going to work out because I am a good God. I'm a good king and I will lead your life in the best way possible. And so the whole essence of the gospel is that one's humanity, our humanity, can be restored as we give our faith, as we give our allegiance to the true king. It's trusting that Jesus knows how to be more human than I do. And I'm going to choose to live under his reign, under his rule, because he's way better at defining good and evil than I am. And that that is the most freeing, most liberating most beautiful thing that I can hear, that I can do, that I want to be a part of. And, and as, as I was, we're going to wrap up. And as I was thinking about how do we respond to a message like this, I thought of something that I thought would be uh, uh, super practical. It can start today, but throughout this week, I want to uh, challenge everyone to create a list. And I want you to create a list of the things that you hold uh, to be the most valuable, whether it's a thing whether it's a person, whether the multiple people, whether it's an idea, whether it's a lifestyle, whatever it is, but create a list. You can call it your value list of, of what in your life right now you hold with the most value. And I want you to get alone with God. And I want you to, to genuinely ask him, God, is anything on this list inhibiting me? Am I sold out for anything on this list more so than I'm sold out for you?
and just be honest with them. Because I think that every single one of us in here will have something on that list that has gotten a little too much of our attention, even if it's a good thing. So the first step is make that list go before God. And then second part is, man, to repent and to worship. Because when you find things that you've been giving more of yourself to than Jesus, repent for it. Just say, God, man, I, I realize I've been worshiping the wrong things. That's, that's not what should get my attention. That's not what should get my hope. That's not what I should put my trust in. Lord, you should. Would you help me to reorder what I love and what I worship, God? And then just spend time worshiping Jesus. I know a way to allow our hearts to unleash from all the things they hold so tightly to is to show it something bigger, something better, something stronger, something more beautiful than whatever uh, you hold with value, and that's Jesus. So as you get alone every day with Jesus, make that a priority, and man, slowly but surely, he will unleash and unlock your heart from being latched on to so many various things. I just want to share my list. Uh, on my list, a couple of things I had that I hold right now with the most value are my wife, being respected, my books, learning, my dreams, church planting, social justice, living comfortably, finances, my electronics, being appreciated, relaxing and recharging. And, and for me, quite literally, I had to look at this list. I still have to look at it, and I have to say, God, do I love any of these things too much? Do I love any of these things, Lord, that are inhibiting me from reflecting Jesus? Lord, have I allowed any of these things to become idols in my life? Have have I allowed my wife to be my idol? Have I allowed a dream to be my idol? Have I allowed uh, finances, living comfortably, not taking risks? Have I allowed any of these things to become my idol? God, if you took away any of these things, could I still trust you? And Lord, do any of these things get more of my time, attention, and focus than you. And I can guarantee you some of them do. So we're in this together. And I want you all to to take serious note of this and just think, man, God, some of these things aren't worth fighting for as hard as I fight for. I'm not saying you have to give up your passions. I'm not saying you have to give up your things or your spouses. But I think they have to just be put in proper uh, perspective. That, God, you are the ultimate thing. All these other things, I hold it with open hands. I hold it with open hands, God, but you are what defines my worth. You are what defines my status. You are what defines my life, God. So if anything, Lord, is inhibiting me from getting to you, Lord, Lord, would you help me with that? It's not easy to be honest with ourselves. It's not easy to be honest with God, but it's freeing. It's so freeing. It's not bad to have passions and desires, but the good news of the gospel invites us to give up our control, to loosen our grip, to trust him with our lives, to be a part of a better kingdom, one in which he perfectly rules and reigns. And I'm trust God with your passions. Trust God with your stuff. If he asked you to sacrifice, that's okay. Trust him with it. So our response to this coming kingdom is to discover it, to treasure it, receive it, and enjoy it. Enjoy being a part of a greater and bigger reality. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you are infinite and wise and all-knowing. And Lord, although we hold on so tightly to things that uh, we just believe in and want to fight for, 
Lord, help us to attach our lives to a bigger kingdom, to a different kingdom. Lord, to, to your kingdom. Jesus, we're citizens of heaven. Help us to think differently than how the world thinks. Help us to respond differently than how our coworker or our brother or sister or family member respond. Lord, we're in a series right now on the Beatitudes. Lord, this is what it means to be truly human. God, give us the power to do it. Give us the power to walk in your love. Give us the power to imitate you, Christ. Give us the power, Lord, to not find value in so many silly things, Jesus. Help us to fight for the cause of Christ more than we're willing to fight for anything else. Jesus, we need you. Lord, forgive us for not seeing who you are and what you've done. Forgive us for taking for granted so often Man, what we have, that we get to have access to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that our prayers don't fall on deaf ears. Lord, you have reconciled us back to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. And God, as we go from here, Lord, I pray, man, that we would make that list, that we would reflect on that list, repent of things on it, Jesus. And Lord, help us to be back in the attitude of worship. Help us to reorder what we love what we worship. And God, would you help us to become more like you, God, day by day. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you